0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was an assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years. Now I'm not. Today, we're talking about La La Land, the 2016 musical written and directed by Damien Chazelle and starring Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. At Rotten Tomatoes, its tomato meter score is 91%, and the critics' consensus reads, La La Land breathes new life into a bygone genre with thrillingly assured direction, powerful performances, and an irresistible excess of heart this movie won a ton of awards and you've probably heard of it but as always here on below the line we're not focused on what the critics thought my guests today crew from the film first paula case you are the key second ad paula
1: hello yes i was
0: paula you've been a long time key second and we in fact first met on 2001's the majestic where you hired me for my first post trainee dga gig You've got a ton of recognizable films on your resume as a second, but it looks like you've recently moved into firsting. Tell me more about what you're doing now.
1: Yes, I um, have been firsting for the last couple of years and um, primarily in features, but I've delved into a little TV lately and um, looking forward to staying in the firsting world.
0: Paula, glad you're here. Next, we're joined by Steve Morrow, the sound mixer from La La Land. Steve, welcome. Thank you for having me. So Steve, you've been a sound mixer going on 25 years and you've been twice nominated for Academy Awards, once for La La Land, and more recently for A Star is Born. What I think is particularly interesting about your IMDb page, however, is that you were the sound mixer on nine feature-length films that were released in 2018.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I think it was a uh, it was a qu- quite the busy year. Actually, what turns out a lot of the time, you know, you do a movie and then the, the studio will hold on to it for, you know, six months or a year. And then some movies like uh, a Clint Eastwood movie, he'll shoot it and four months later, it'll come out. So it was one of those years where I think nine of the projects came out uh, because they were kind of stacked up. Whereas this year, maybe, you know, two or three movies will come out and that'll be it.
0: Got it. That was my question. Whether you had another uh, nine or ten films Coming out this year that we should watch for as well, but no, so, it's a, uh, so they get stacked up. Well, thanks for taking time today, Steve. We're glad to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And finally, we're joined today by Robert Fulks, the supervising location manager. Robert, you're also known as Rofo. Is that correct?
3: Uh, that's correct, Robert.
0: Because Well, see, Wait. I'm using Skid, so if you want to use Robert, you can be Robert on the no, podcast
3: be, today. You would be Rofo Skid. Rofo Skid. It's yeah. the first two letters. and Okay, anyway, we'll, right. we'll, we'll get to that later.
0: You'll be Robert and or Rofo. You can answer to both of those. <laughs> I'm answering exclusively to Skid, so we're all on the same. Oh,
3: thing. that's true. You have a nickname too anyway. So, okay. That's, that's right. I, yes. I, to do Rofo. I won't do Rofo. I <laughs> do
0: <laughs> no, uh, That will just confuse folks. Um, so, Rofo, you started <laughs> doing yep, location sir. work in the early 90s with a mix of film and television credits over the last 30 years. Any preference? Uh, Between
3: film and TV? Definitely film. There, how's that for a short
1: answer? <laughs> <laughs> I'll second that.
3: <laughs> okay, so let's turn
0: our attention to La La Land. First, Paula, tell us a little bit about the shooting. How many days of filming did you have?
1: It was a 40-day schedule.
0: And were you guys shooting five-day weeks or six-day weeks?
1: Uh, we were shooting five-day weeks in LA, obviously, but then when we were shooting some of the more sensitive scenes like on the freeway and all, we shifted our work weeks so that we would work Wednesday through Sunday but it was still just five-day weeks.
0: Now, um, we're going to talk some more about the specific scenes in the film, but in general, it's, it's obviously a location-heavy movie. Uh, Robert, how many locations did you guys have to get this done? Uh,
3: I believe it was 47. I think I remember telling people, "Wow, we did 47 locations in 40." I think it ultimately became 42 days, i Might correct. have to
2: you that, yeah. Yeah,
3: I think that was what I used to tell people. How many? Look at 47 out of 47 locations in 42 days. I believe it was, and that's. I look at it from the standpoint of a separate location where you're actually at a separate place paying a separate fee. Sometimes, you know, pr- production designers, their department, they divide one location into a different location, but that's 47 separate places that had a location fee, Move the trucks, new place, it becomes an average of you're on the move every day. There were some some places you're there for half a day and maybe that becomes a two day, uh, one day location, two locations in one day, but then other days, I don't think we were ever anywhere more than... Three days at one place, I believe.
1: That I sounds probably about right. I can't imagine Which what maybe it was. was
3: Hollywood Center Hollywood Center Studios, maybe, but I can't remember. Yeah. I think that was two or three days. But yeah, it was always it's always on the move, pretty much.
0: How much stage work um, was there over the for the film overall?
3: None, except for being at Hollywood Center Studios, uh, where we did the finale um, fantasy sequence, and then a couple other shots outside the stages. But that. Oh, and we were at Warner Brothers. I mean, technically, that's on the lot too. But no, it was all location.
1: I was just going to say that stage work that he's referring to was really a set. I mean, it wasn't like we were using the sound stage for something else. We were using it for a sound stage mm. so that it would look like that. And right. so there weren't any other days where we were on a sound stage where we created another set or anything.
3: From my standpoint, it was nice being on a stage as a break. As a break in the movie, you still have to figure out where to park. And and Hollywood Center's parking is horrible, so we were still out on the streets and all of that. But it was nice being on a contained stage. I'm sure it was for you guys, too, for a a minute, two days out of 42, whatever it was. (laughs)
0: Let me turn the question to you, Steve. This being a musical, uh, what sort of is different about this sort of film schedule than doing any of the other films you've done?
2: Well I think uh schedule wise it's it's you know musicals versus a traditional you know film it, it's it's fairly similar schedule wise you know there's there's no effect other than you just have to be prepared you know for the music moments uh in advance so you know from time to time we would have a, a pre call to set up speakers or playback um knowing if they wanted to do playback rehearsal right at call time but beyond that, I mean, it, it, you know, the the process is the same. You know, just making sure you have enough time and you're set up before they're ready to shoot. And it being all on location, it it you know puts a small amount of uh, of extra difficult you know uh, setup. So like the 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 roommate song, you know, in that apartment, that's a real set. That's on the rooftop of a building in Koreatown, I believe. And so you know, you have to hide speakers in every room. Whereas if you were on a soundstage, you know, that's an easy thing to do. Whereas for us, we were opening windows and running cables through and, you know, it was a bigger setup. But, you know, as long as you knew that that was the process of that location, which is great to be on the on the scouts, then you can kind of see how much time you need and let Paula and her team know how much time, you know, the setup is going to be so that they want to do it right at, at call time. You say, okay, give me 45 minutes before that and I'll have it all set up and ready to go.
0: So the musical numbers themselves, are they recording them before filming? And then are you doing a playback or are you actually capturing on
2: location? Well, it was a combination of both. Uh, I think for this film, they recorded everything in advance because you always want to have it no matter what. If an actor shows shows up and and she has laryngitis that day, you still need to be able to film. But there were definitely songs that uh, we knew in advance were going to be live and songs that we knew in advance were gonna be played back no matter what. So the opening scene of the, the movie on the freeway, uh, all those dancers uh, on camera are not the same singers that sang the song. You know, they, they dance and they lip-sunk, uh, and we always knew that that was gonna be uh, a playback moment. But uh, Emma Stone in her audition scene, uh, where she's auditioning and gets the big break, we always knew that was gonna be live. Um, and so I don't believe they had a pre-record for that because on the day uh the composer Justin Horowitz, he was off camera on a on a keyboard playing the music along with her singing. So she she drove the speed of the song with her performance and he kept up behind her, you know, so that he it wasn't a, a playback song that that she had to keep up to. It was more that the composer had to keep up with her so that she could really play the emotion as the actress versus, you know, just lip syncing a, a scene like that.
3: Incredible scene. <laughs> I yeah. I was, I was regret after I watched the movie, I regretted not standing there that day and watching it. Cause I'm you know, running around doing something else. We kind of did that on a little bit of a stage next to the offices there. And uh, I remember walking and hearing it in in the distance of the stage going, ah, I, why, <laughs> I wish I was standing there watching that scene because it's so powerful. And actually I have a question for Steve. I, I'm, sound is one of the things that I'm, Kind of not as involved in as the movie goes on, except apologizing sometimes for picking a location that's really hard to. <laughs> uh, sorry, they that. really, <laughs> sorry, they really love this place. That's why we're here. It's <laughs> sorry,
2: we would love a challenge.
3: <laughs> <laughs> love a challenge. But when you're when you're, are you having to really sit and make sure that uh, that sounded really good in terms of you being there live? Uh, that it took a little more time to just make sure you were capturing that the best way compared to something that's already pre-recorded. That's amazing.
2: Well, yeah. So we, we showed up on that day knowing, okay, this is the big day. This is Emma's big song. You know, it's been on the schedule for a long time because I think it was towards the end of the, the film. And so we knew it. And then when we did the first rehearsal, we kind of watched, and if you watched the scene and you understand, you know, the filmmaking process, the table that the agents or auditioners yeah, right. were sitting at, uh, the camera goes right through it. And the way that they did that is they split the table in half mid song well, that's not, that wasn't a quiet thing. They actually, it made like a clunking noise. It slid apart. The camera went through, went around. And then by the, by the end of it, they had to put it back together so that when the lights came back up, they were, they were sitting there as normal. So we came in thinking, oh, this is going to be great. She's standing in one spot. She's going to sing. We're going to record it. And then all of a sudden we do the first rehearsal and we hear the furniture clunking apart and slamming back together. i went, oh no, this is, this is going to be a live moment. How are we going to do this? So. What we ended up doing in that was recording it the best we could and making notes on where those clunking noises were. Then we did a couple takes where it was just the camera, just on Emma's face singing the entire song again, which would cover those moments of the noise and they could slip that sound into, to, to fix the the banging noises. So, you know, that was the, it was all still the live performance, but in those moments when it just had this, you know, mistaken it, or not really a mistake, but it had to be for the camera to move through the set. Uh, we were able to put that in with the the recordings of her standing still. But yeah, I mean, it's, it is more pressure on those days when you know, because also when you're singing those songs, you only have, you know, five or six takes, and then at that point, your voice is destroyed. Uh, and so you have to make sure you get it right. But for the most part, you take as much you, you try to take as much care in that as any other scene your, your goal is always just to record the voices the best you can uh, with with the least amount of background noise so but in the singing moments it's almost it's almost easier in the sense of recording because they're loud but it's also more pressure because you know you can't say hey can i have another take for sound it's you have to just get it no matter what
0: my fear is that Rofo's takeaway is going to be is that why doesn't the sound guys always just record it twice if there's an airplane or something and then it <laughs> back hit underneath uh, <laughs> since those are the complaints you get. Uh,
3: that's true. I swear, I, they picked the one next to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't
2: me. I warned them. And why
1: did you show them the one next to the airport? <laughs> oh, <always>
2: the <laughs> it was cheaper. It's always cheaper the closer to the airport you get. Surprise, surprise. Thank surprise. you. Thank
0: you. Paul, in capturing the uh, the musical aspects, to follow up on what what Steve was talking about, any specific challenges from an AD perspective and sort of coordinating either crew or location?
1: Well, I think that there's a combination of people involved, depending on the complexity of the, the musical number. And of course, that there was a huge dance team that was involved, and they had a bunch of rehearsals. And then, of course, you know, um, Steve and the sound team. And then there was the whole music department that was involved that, you know, Justin and his people and all. And um, so it's just more people to coordinate than just a regular dialogue scene, say, between a couple actors. But Damien was so organized and had such a vision for what he wanted that so much of this was... Um, able to have been done in prep in terms of knowing what we were doing there was very little that was on the fly as I recall I mean it was all very well planned out because of his um, vision for what he wanted and and it had to be in order to keep that schedule in order to have the dancers we needed and the songs we needed and all that
0: tell me more about working with Damien I'm a fan of actually I'd probably say all of his films to date
1: I can tell you in prep He fascinated me because we would sit in meetings and, you know, he's a young guy. He's not an old man. And he would, we would sit in meetings and prep. And I know Robert, you were probably in a lot of these meetings, Steve, maybe you weren't in them quite yet. But uh, when he was talking about his vision for these various scenes and he would reference movies one right after the other, right after the other. And this, I want it to look like this. And this, I want it to look like this. And I just thought to myself, how does a kid so young, I shouldn't say kid, a man so young, Mm -hmm. have the time to have seen all these movies (laughs) and then to be able to remember, I mean, obviously he's an incredibly intelligent man, but, and be able to remember the bits and pieces that he wanted and that he liked. And I just remember writing down, oh no, I need to watch that. Oh no, I need to watch that. How am I ever going to watch all these movies? (laughs) But did you sit in on any of those meetings, Robert? Were you there for oh, that? Yeah. Oh
3: yeah, so. oh yeah, definitely. And and how he uh, he would have the screenings before. Uh,
1: oh right, I forgot about that.
3: Well, he was going to do more, I think, but he ended yeah. up screening maybe three or four movies of uh, that inspired him and inspire the uh, and invited people to come see them. And uh, I mean, I, I sat at home and watched a lot of them anyway. Um, the Jacques Demy movies were the ones that I'd always wanted to see, and he was referencing, so that was a great excuse to find watch all all those movies yeah no he, he was totally inspiring um i mean i i love that he he was so focused on what he wanted
2: why he liked something or why he didn't it was yeah I, I i loved working with him i i think what what not surprised me but what was interesting to me is that when we went on set it was pretty much he already knew what he wanted and it was up to us to to put it down so like the movie was made in his head already and it was up to the crew to kind of put it on film. And I think that that's always, um, you know, inspirational to work with somebody who doesn't just show up and goes, okay, what are we shooting today, Let, let's figure this out. You know, and that works for some movies because some movies need that, but when you have such a movie that has such a vision and a precise vision, it, it's it's fun to work with those type of people that really get it and really just want you to put their vision on, on film. And so if that movie failed miserably, it's because of him, the movie succeeded splendidly, it's because of him, you know what I mean? So like it's a full ownership where you can't say later on, well, the script was crap or the editing was bad or whatever it was, like that's 100% his vision. And I don't think there was any shot that he went, oh, that didn't work, let's figure something else out. I think it was always always made in his head exactly how you saw it in the theater. Totally agree agree with that.
1: Yeah, a matter too of being able to convey what he wanted to, all of us so that we could give him what he wanted, which of course is another trick sometimes. And, um, but he obviously was able to do that as well.
3: Well, working with writer directors is a treat for me too, because I love what, if they want to make a change, they're the person standing there saying, oh, that sounds great, I'd rather say this. There were a few of those on La La Land. Definitely the one that comes to mind is the Casablanca window at Warner Brothers, where he looked up and learned that that was actually the window from Casablanca on French Street. And I'm remember, I believe that the line made it into the movie where they mentioned that in the movie, uh, when they're walking outside of her cafe or they're walking somewhere on, on the Warner brothers scenes. But, uh, that's just great. You see the look in his eyes and you know, it's going to change. He's the writer. He thought that he thinks that's cool. He appreciates that that came up and it's all right there in one package. And, uh, it's, I, li- I love working with writer directors like Martin McDonough and people like that where it's just, you, you suggest something and there it is. They're the ones that are going to nod their head or shake their head.
1: Harkening back to the discussion earlier about the um, TV and film, and that's a huge difference between TV and film is when you're, and especially when you have a writer director, you have one person that you're answering to, and that's the creative vision for the whole project. And in TV, there's often several writers, producers, and a director on the set, and it's more of a team effort and trying to get answers. (laughs) But uh, especially, like you said, Robert, when you have a writer director on a feature they're the king and that's the person who answers all the questions and it's their vision and they decide. So that's, that's a nice, nice thing to do to be part of.
0: Yeah. Well, were there any of Damien's visions that you found particularly challenging to pull off on (laughs) La La Land?
3: (laughs) um well (laughs) i mean everybody always assume everybody to me always everybody always assumes the uh the freeway was the craziest logistic thing and it was lots of meetings and and different uh jurisdictions and entities that you have to meet with to get the final approval to be there up on that freeway ramp as many days as we wanted to but for me the 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 biggest challenge is always a, a neighborhood and when you have to do a neighborhood at night blasting Um, somewhere in the crowd all night long for two nights and keep a lot of uh, Encino residents happy uh, and figure out who you should pay a little money to for their inconvenience and which ones you don't feel like paying any money to because you're sick of paying everybody. (laughs) That that becomes what I look back on as the biggest challenge. I mean, people don't watch the scene and think, oh, wow, how'd you film a scene in the backyard of a house? But they don't know what you're going through
2: when you're filming that scene in the backyard of the house. (laughs) I mean, especially you know, you're you're cognizant you're in a neighborhood and that you're going to be blasting this music, and so, you know, there there's always the, you feel terrible because <laughs> you're blasting music in a neighborhood and you're making uh, Robert's life a, a a nightmare. But you also know, well, this is a musical, and so hopefully Robert uh, let the neighbors know. But yeah. uh, but it doesn't matter how much you can tell people, and all of a sudden at four in the morning you're playing the same song over and over, and, and that's that. But I think yeah. on the sound level, the 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 hardest scene for. For us was actually Ryan at the end of the pier, you oh. know, doing his his piece because it was for us. We were always told, you know, I don't know what songs will be live and I don't know what's going to be playback until the day we get there, and we just we just have to be prepared for both. And so, if you watch that scene, you know, there's not a lot of lighting uh, in the grand scheme of it. There's you know all the the light posts and uh, and the sunset. And for us, we have to do playback with you know, the proper technical challenges on that. Whereas, you know, on a normal film, if it was just dialogue, I could, I could have a small rig that I wear around me and kind of just follow the camera around since it's a 360 on a musical, you know, you have to have the right time code, the right click tracks. You have to be able to record the actor, feed them an earpiece, feed a speaker. And these are all things that you can't just do wirelessly from the shore because that's a 400, 400 feet down the pier. So we had to run, I think, 1,600 feet of cable, you know, with like 40 minutes to spare because in the morning we were in the jazz club and in the evening when the sun was going down, we were on the pier. And so we had to run all that cabling down for the electronics to be hidden behind trash cans or, you know, under a, a park bench or, you know, what, you know, the, the, the benches on the pier. And so those as you look at that scene, it's one of the simpler looking scenes. But for us, it was just like we were running up and down that pier because there was no time to set up, and there was no—you know—it was just like you have to get it when the sun sets. Sorry, Steve. We were going to shoot that. We were going to shoot that on the sidewalks outside <laughs> of the club.
3: And when the idea, when the idea suddenly hit on, wait—we got to get a great water element in this movie. We don't have one yet. Let's stage this on the pier. And everybody looked at each other and said, "Of course, we're staging this on the pier. It's on the same day as we filmed the lighthouse. It's perfect." And it ended up being in the trailer, and it was great. And I apologize for your sixteen hundred feet of cable. Oh no! I mean, it,
2: it totally—it totally makes the movie. I mean, if, if that was on the sidewalk, it would have been not as great. But it, no, it's, it's great. The, no, yeah, yeah. No, it's
3: fine. He we. Uh, you know, he had the Jock Demi thing, that was going to be kind of a Jock Demi kind of sequence, walking along the storefronts of Huntington Beach. up, there. And you kind of see, would, see, would have seen the pier in the distance. And we were going to kind of be up in those storefronts and kind of dre- dress them all kind of, kind of the same way we did the Warner Brothers back lot, all kind of Jock Demi colors and things. And you'd see the pier in the background. And he was going to sing that song, dancing up the sidewalk, looking in the storefront windows. And, and we, I just loved it when we, let's just do this on the pier. It was great. It was great, and then adding the street lights and yeah, it looked amazing and it sounded amazing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It was well, well worth it. Well worth it, was, it. It was well worth. No, that is. Those are those little. Those are those little treats when 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 because of a scheduling thing. You're suddenly like, oh, well, we kind of have to do this the same day, but this is the best location we would want to pick for this anyway. So that that's that's a treat.
0: Paula, how about you? Favorite or least favorite uh, scenes?
1: Well the one thing I remember about especially like in prep when we were deciding on the schedule and the locations and and scouting and everything Linus the DP every time we'd go somewhere new he'd go this is great, we have to shoot this during magic hour, though, (laughs) Then we get to the next location, you go, oh, this is great, but it has to be during magic hour. And Peter and I, the first (laughs) day after about the 10th time he said this would say, there's only so many magic hours in schedule, how are we possibly gonna shoot all these scenes during magic hour? So that was one of the big challenges, I think, for there were a lot of magic hour scenes that we had to schedule around and oftentimes dance numbers and choreograph things and all. And um, so there was like the pier, there was the dance at Griffith park. There was the roommates out in front in long beach. I mean, those are just a few that I can think of, but um, that was a huge challenge for us in, in planning and scheduling. And then on the day, of course, trying to make everything come together so that at the right time, moment of the perfect light you get the perfect take (laughs) so um that was a big challenge for this movie
0: did you guys have any weather challenges because i imagine you don't have a lot of stage work to retreat to if you catch rain you're you're done for for the day the
1: biggest weather challenge you know we shot this in like august september october was it was scorching hot for like that freeway scene was over 100 degrees that weekend wasn't it it was just miserably hot yeah. and we were you know however high up in the air on concrete all day long you know with of course dancing in the cars and everything else
2: yeah i remember the uh, the dancers they we had to put the ferny pads on top of the hoods of the cars because a car hood in 100 degree weather is 140 degrees you know 150 degrees and they're dancing on it and laying on it and so in between takes they had to kind of cover them up so That's that they right. wouldn't just be boiling
3: uh-huh. And choosing that location because you wanted to see downtown in the distance, it, you want to make sure that you get up there on that weekend and see downtown in the distance. Uh-huh. So that's a we, that's a weather challenge. It's not rain, but the things like that you want to you know a marine layer uh, fogging in Ryan on the Hermosa Pier would have sucked too.
0: How many days were you guys up on the on the for the freeway scene? Was it
3: you you two it was- two full days? Two yeah, shoes had- days. days, one full rehearsal day.
1: With mm-hmm. a pre- previous Sunday before we went and rehearsed all day. And then the day of the shoot, um, or the it was the weekend, it was the Saturday,
3: Sunday.
0: And did you have it closed off overnight? Or did you have to clear and then close it down again for the next day when you did the weekend shooting?
3: It was, cons- it was consecutive. It was uh, load in it in the middle of the night, shoot, get out by the following so it could open again on Monday morning. So it was a I full see. consecutive weekend. They wanted to, Damien wanted to rehearse two week weekend days, but we can only get one out of them. And I had to close it during the tech scout, which we had to tech scout it at night, which was weird. So it so it was like three and a quarter days closing it down. <laughs> <laughs> Boy,
0: LA loves it when you do that, right? That's uh, yes. like, oh, we're tech, all in this making together.
3: Tech, tech scouting the key uh, dance number at night that takes place in the daytime was weird
1: and it it's a it's a high occupancy the hov lane high occupancy vehicle lane. yeah it's not a main thoroughfare to you know downtown or anything it's just a um right robert it's just yes a, no uh, right like, exactly
3: I'm, it you still it was it was still jumping through hoops to get it closed for sure. that length of time but i tell people that no it was not me closing down the hollywood freeway for <laughs> three days uh which is where the scene was written. It was written by a they were seeing the Capitol Records building in the background. But we're not, get the, we're not gonna get the 101 freeway for three and a quarter days shut down.
0: And so that's an interesting, it goes to what you were mentioning earlier about uh, Damien's vision and being able to modify that. Is that something that does get modified when you're sitting around the room having a conversation about, obviously we're not gonna shut down the 101 for three days? Or does it sort of, does he come to that conclusion on his own?
3: Well, it's it's pretty early on in the process. I had shot that same uh, ramp on a movie called Cake with Jennifer Aniston. Completely different was, type scene. I was there for that. <laughs> no, you were there for that too. Wait, you yep. were there for. That? <laughs> This shows how much I interact with the sound department on a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, pass by. Hi, how you doing? Well, the good,
2: the good sound departments. You never talk to, right? Well, that's true. It's
3: true. You're not, you're not coming up and complaining about the locations because I picked the right locations and we just both do our job. That's never failed it. Um, Oh my god, I knew you from Cake. Also, that's so funny. Um, But yeah, so that was a completely different emotional type scene, and we were only up there for a shorter amount of time, obviously. But yeah, that was one of the three ways that came to mind. you know, another one that we contemplated, but I don't think we I guess we scouted it was the 710, um, which gets shot a lot. There were 710 dead ends at Valley Boulevard um, shows like movies like Taken have done car crashes there and things like that. But it's just and you can get up, you can get up on an overpass and look down, which is kind of neat. You can do shots like that. But it but it just doesn't have the scope of what what that opening scene was. So it, it was chosen fairly early on. And uh, I, I think Peter, Peter, Peter done Conan, he'd done a so to say he had done a car commercial up there too. So he mm. knew right away that 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 he said he was getting ready to uh, recommend it in the meeting. And I was like, I did cake there. That's it. You want <laughs> it? I want it. That's where we're shooting it.
1: <laughs>
0: One of the other scenes I think looks particularly challenging, and this maybe with my background as an AD is the party and the pool, um, where folks at the end actually go into the pool, and there's a huge party around them. Looks like a ton of not just regular background, but dance specific background. And I'm, I'm curious to hear some of the stories about getting that one
1: done. <laughs> that was the impossible location to find. That about <laughs> yes. the night party at the pool, right? Because that's yes. uh, about the other pool, pool too. But the the night party where the guy jumps in that we scouted that Like that was one of those where it was like, okay, we're going to do a scout after rep on Thursday. And then how about Monday morning before call, we're going to do another scout and find another house. And I can't remember what the challenge, what was the challenge? Uh,
3: Well, well, they, they, they loved a house that was in Beverly Hills. And I said, if we're going to pull off two all nights uh, of somewhere in the crowd playing till dawn, I need to go meet these neighbors immediately to see if we can even pull off this house. And when the first two neighbors on either side said, no way, and you need 90% signatures of the entire neighborhood to say, yes, I said, we got to find a different house. We're going to end up loving this, we're going to get too far down the line, and we're not going to be able to shoot these scenes here. And, uh, and it was, I mean, that was one where, where Damien had a specific look that he wanted. He wanted, he wanted a city view. And ironically, that other house didn't have a city view, but he loved the house so much. One of the challenges was a lot of houses that we'd look at you kind of want to make it work, but you realize that it's an infinity pool. An infinity pool is not going to work because ultimately he liked the idea of the dancers being all the way around the pool. And a lot of houses up in the hills that are modern and great for all the other reasons why you like the house have infinity pools. So we would kind of look at them, but then I knew we weren't going to choose it ultimately. And then uh, ultimately this house worked out great. I and mean, we had all these scenes out front too that didn't quite make it into the movie as well. little couple shots, but. I guess the icing on the cake for that house too, was you could get all the way around it and it had that guest house next to it, which worked out really great with the guy jumping in and the the crane work and all that. So, uh, the house ended up working out as good as any other house, but uh, that was a challenge. We looked
2: at a lot of houses for that. If I'm not mistaken, on some of those houses we looked at, didn't a bus get stuck going up a hill? Oh my <laughs> yes. God! And we all had to we all had to Uber home. Uber
3: home <laughs> that yeah. was horrible. A scout that bus. was my that was my that was my worst uh,
2: scouting story, actually, in the history of uh, a Rofl. That wasn't even your fault. It was just the bus well, driver thought well, I got this and then jammed it, and then that was you it. I had
1: to make a U turn and <laughs> that, got stuck.
3: It is, it, is, it, is, it is the bus driver mapping out the route, but that's the classic case of please let me go pre-scout these locations before we take 50 people up there. But I think we were so anxious to finally find this thing. I, no one had gone up there yet. We just loved it from the photos and wind your way up there. Ah, thanks for that memory. Thanks a lot.
0: Is that a house you actually ended up filming at? That sounds like a challenge for getting real good. That was an indication <laughs> no. enough that this isn't going to work on a lot of levels.
3: No, no. Fortunately, I don't even – did we even go up to the house? No, we no. We didn't no go I, go think, I, I think No, I think
2: Damien went up ahead of the bus oh, and then right. came well. down and was like, nah, it's not going to work. Everybody go home. And yeah. then that was that was the Uber trip home. <laughs> and we all Ubered home, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the no. bus – I think the bus is still stuck there, but they have people <laughs> living in it now. It's the It's bus, an Airbnb. It it's a,
3: it allows filming too. Ironically, it's uh, <laughs> in the middle of the street, and all the neighbors are on board, and uh, it's perfect. When they do Speed Three, they can do a bus. Uh... bus is right yeah, there.
2: if this bus moves, everybody dies.
3: That's <laughs> great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone got out and watched for a while, and then we yeah, were... I
2: have I have video of uh, transport guys jamming uh, chairs underneath wheels to try to get the car the, the bus to move and things of that nature. So. <laughs> oh, that's great.
0: Paula, you reminded me that there are actually two scenes with pools. That's right, because there's that—that's the evening scene, and there's also a day party scene uh, where Ryan Gosling is playing with, uh, I guess, the '80s cover band, and Emma's there as well.
1: Yeah, the '80s band. That was another scorching hot day in in Encino, I think, hundred plus, which was great for a pool scene. Except for, so we wanted to be sure that the pool was comfortable for people to be dancing in and out of all day and sitting in and. Even though it was a hot day, we wanted to be sure it wasn't you know freezing cold. so we had someone from Robert's department have them turn the heater on the pool the night before so that it would warm up in time but Unfortunately, the thermostat was broken on the pool heater, <laughs> and when we got there in the morning, the whole pool was over a hundred degrees the water temperature was over 100 degrees. And then it was like about 110 degrees outside. And the poor extras couldn't, they put their feet in the pool. They couldn't even like put their feet because it was so hot. We were throwing ice and trying to, to lower the temperature of the pool. <laughs> Eventually it got down a little bit, but the poor extras and dancers, every time they, we'd do, shoot a scene, they'd all have to jump out really quick just to cool off in the 110 degree temperatures because the pool
2: was so hot.
0: Does, does background get a lobster bump for going to that
2: water <laughs> <laughs> that that was also uh to bring up that scene that was one of those scenes that the the singer was pre-recorded we had that and then when he showed up and did the first rehearsal we all kind of looked at each other and said let's just let him do it live because it's way because he was really goofy you know if you watch it he's really funny Performance and it's like let's just have them do it live because that'll be better. And so those are one of those moments where you have the pre-record, but in the moment you go, no, this is better live. So let's just do it live.
1: With his guitar, with uh, Ryan's <laughs> guitar, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Paul, any more stories from the pool scene?
1: So we were trying to find. He wanted the scene to start with a girl diving into the pool and coming out and the camera was going to follow the girl diving into the pool. And then it comes out and it shows uh, Emma talking to her friends on the other side of the pool. And so we were trying to cast an extra, basically, they didn't talk who um, could do a nice dive in a pool and had an attractive figure and could wear a bikini and, and was the right age and everything else. And believe it or not, in Hollywood, it was a little harder to find than you might think to find a pretty girl who could dive. So we ended it's up.
0: Not, it's on everybody's resume, but nobody could actually do it. It's like but
1: nobody can do it we had videos and videos and videos of, you know, they were pretty, but they couldn't dive. They could dive, but they weren't pretty enough. I mean, it went on and on and on. And so I have a friend who is, um, On a swim team and i happened to mention it to him and he goes oh i I have a friend who could do that so i had her send in a video so she ended up being the one she got picked and you know real pretty girl and she had a beautiful dive and she was a really good swimmer and everything they they put a bikini on her you know and um luckily the camera was from behind because every time she dove in the bikini top would fall off and so when she got off on the other side she would always have to pull up her bikini before she got because the the scene she dives in and then she gets out of the water and then she goes off and then the camera follows emma at that point they tried everything they could to try and get that poor top to stay on her and every single take she would jump out the other end and quickly have to search her her uh, bathing suit
0: you guys are still friends
2: i, so, hope you uh, didn't quite. So I was a
1: friend of friend. So I actually haven't seen her since, but <laughs> I hope she still had fun. <laughs> she made the movie. She made the final cut.
0: What other scenes uh, strike you guys as particularly memorable from this shooting experience?
1: The scene that I love, of course, in the movie and was an amazing scene to film was the dancing at the Griffith Park on the road up there. I forget the name of the song.
3: Duet dance.
1: Yeah. The duet with Emma and, uh, and Ryan after they leave that party there and um, it was one of those that they wanted, you know, magic hour shot. So we actually shot it over the course of two nights. We went up there. I think we made a company move up there one night so we could do it. And then we came back another day or maybe the first day was just a rehearsal. I'm not sure.
3: Lots of rehearsal. I think it were two rehearsal days, if not more. Because the slope of the hill made them want to like rehearse on, on site. Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough to just rehearse in a studio. Uh, this and then is it's we'll a huge
1: it. crane shot you know it's yeah. a huge single crane shot that takes you through most of the the dance number and all at just the right time again and all so while it wasn't a huge deal with extras or anything it was the timing and of course i love the scene and it's a beautiful sunset and then it's this that huge crane number we had an amazing crane team that could handle all those oners that just followed them through the whole scene just like they did at the beginning on um at the uh, the freeway as well. Um, so those big crane shots were huge in Damien's you know, ideas and they all came off, I think, really well in the final
3: cut. Another magic hour shot that had to happen at the perfect moment. And mm-hmm. it's all there. It's all there in the film.
1: Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that that's a backdrop. I've had people say that to me, that it's, a, oh, that has to have been done on a stage or with a backdrop or anything, but that's... Um,
3: that's yeah, it's a- so much of an homage to those type of scenes that you just assume is recreated on a stage, just like the old movies were. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: That reminds me of another one though to ask about, and that's the Griffith Observatory where they are shooting at Griffith Observatory, but then you have the wire work air dancing. That, that must've been on a stage
3: somewhere. The wire work was on stage. Yeah. But the walking through the observatory part of it was, we couldn't film in the planetarium itself anyway, but we didn't want to because of the way the scene was. And did That, that was did you,
1: another magic hour shot out front, wasn't it?
3: Uh yeah yes. the car the car pulling up yeah yes to match uh, rebel without a cause yeah and so
0: did you do the wire work on the same stage days that you were doing the what if montage that is supposed to be stage work was that connected with that or did you have a separate day of doing that sort of pickup work in other words when you were on oh, stage yes. doing the big what if montage where they're going from stage set to stage set it's yes. part of that the work you're there for See a couple there. of days you pick that up as well
3: see you're thinking like an ad there that is correct <laughs> uh, that was hollywood center studios also that was right. uh the same time yeah
1: mm-hmm. and yeah yeah that was all uh yeah on stage at hollywood center
3: and hollywood center worked out nice too because of the, the shot of them walking past the big elephant doors and uh, able to able to get some exterior shots there too it didn't just work well because it was one of the few stages available that would fit what we needed but Uh, it ended up making for a nice couple shots there too. So all of these challenges, how did the cast take to this?
1: You know, Emma and Ryan were great. No complaints there for sure. I mean, I usually start maybe as a second AD, somewhere four to six weeks before we start shooting. And they had already started well before that with their rehearsing and the dancing and all. We had offices across the street from the dance rehearsal stage. They were well into their rehearsals before I even started. And so they wanted to rehearse. They wanted to get it right. They wanted to make sure that it was made them look good and made Damien look good and everything else. I know Steve can probably test to this too, where Ryan, you know, took piano lessons so that he could actually play the piano and um, they put a lot of work into it. And yet from our perspective, they were great to work with just really on board, very professional.
2: Yeah, anytime Ryan played that piano, and you know, there's close-ups of fingers. Those were all him playing. I mean, it's you know, a lot of the time you'll you'll hire a, a you know a hand double that can play the piano to to really get the the tight shots. But those were all him him playing and him just. I don't I don't think from what I remember he knew how to play the piano before the film. So he he had learned for you know a year or six months just to to be able to play those tunes and and those are really difficult piano riffs to play and to, to make look like second nature so I think that they were you know as dedicated as as Damien was to making the movie the best they could
1: and as I recall I think we had we took a while to find a hand double that could play the piano and as I recall we had one and I think we dressed him and brought him with us time and time again and he never worked I think yeah
2: yeah every day he was there but he, he was just there never, and he never just worked just in case yeah wow but that's, you know, that's the same thing. It, you're only as good as your worst backup. So if, if Ryan couldn't hit it, and then they were like, well, what are we gonna do now, then you're stuck. So I think it's the same reason why you pre-record everything just in case they can't sing it live. But in the, in the movie, Emma almost sings everything live in the movie, except for that Griffith Park dance number. Um, but everything, you know, at the party, uh, even in the roommate song, all of her parts are live, whereas the rest of the roommates are, are playback. Oh, and when she's in the bathroom. Too, yeah right. in the bathroom yeah, at the right, party right. And,
3: right.
2: yeah yeah her audition i mean no even their duet in in their apartment where they're together playing at the piano that was live ryan and her singing and so you know that you always you always have the best backup you can you know like a hand double or, or music but if you can get it you know with them doing it at that moment and you know in that vibe then you're you're golden
0: now, we talked about Ryan learning to play the piano, but there's actually a lot of musicians in the movie, I'm assuming, playing the parts of most of the other musicians. Is that is that – were they all musicians, or were there other folks that had challenges as well?
1: We had to hire um, sideline musicians to handle all the instruments that you have in the movie. So, like, there's um, there were bands and bands and bands, as I recall. Wow, now that you remember, remind me, I had – whoa, I had a lot to do with all that. (laughs) (laughs) We were um, working with Extras Casting and also the music department had a music contractor that we were dealing with um, to try and find the right look that Damien was looking for and the ability to play the instrument, even though they weren't necessarily playing the instrument on the set, they had to look like they were. And then because of the unions, they had to be part of the musician's union. They couldn't just be an extra who looked like they were playing the instrument. So that took a lot of, of casting and trying to find all those different people. Because there were quite a few different bands throughout the movie that had very specific looks. The jazz club, the band in the, in the truck on the, um, on the freeway, the 80s band. I can't even remember. The all John
2: Legend, yeah, John Legend's band. Oh
1: yeah, John Legend's band. There were a lot of bands. And so little by little, as the dates came up that we were going to be filming them, we were getting closer and closer of showing pictures to Damien. What about him? What about him? And he would give you ideas of who he wanted and what types he wanted. But then it was hard to find musicians that were available that played the instrument that you wanted him to play, that had the look you wanted and everything. So that was quite a challenge, actually.
2: Steve, any particularly challenging... Thing? You want to riff on there? When we recorded the the band that John Legend was in that, that made, you know, Ryan money and famous and, and all that, that band, we tried to record everything live on that day when they did the big concert scene, you know, just to have as much live emotional, you know, connection with the audience. Cause it's always better. If you can, it's always better to get it live. And also just to have, you know, options in post-production to be able to, to use, you know, something that might, happened naturally on set versus something that happened in a recording studio a few months earlier and so you know that was one of those one of those days where we you you know you got to have a mini John Legend concert because he sang you know a live a couple takes and uh and and that was just one of those more fun days on set where you know instead of just being involved in just hitting a, a playback button and playing it through speakers and having people lip sync you get to just really be part of that uh experience and I think that that's that was a fun day for everybody on set you know, you're at a, you're at a concert really at a John Legend concert with maybe 200 other people. So I think those are the fun days on set, making movies and doing those things that, that not a lot of people get to experience that are, that are pretty unique.
1: And as I recall, we would um, record a few takes at the beginning live, right? And then you would use one of those for playback as we got into the coverage for the different. Um, shows.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. You didn't want to wear everybody out. So, you know, like you, like I said earlier, you know, you only had a couple takes. That's why generally concerts are only a couple hours long. And then you use those takes and you use that for playback the rest of the day so that everything would match later on in editing. But yeah, and that, and that gave the, the realism to those moments.
0: Rofa, what venue did you use for the
3: concert? Uh, John Legend and the Messengers. That was at the El Rey on Wilshire. Uh, the Messengers.
2: Great memory. The Messengers,
3: yes. Uh, that was a parking nightmare. Where do you park near the El Rey <laughs> with that many extras? These are the things that we deal
2: with. Yes. Yeah, and I remember, yeah. I, I, sorry, I was going to say, I remember on the L Ray, we had the weekend we loaded in on the yeah. weekend and set up and rehearsed yeah. it a couple of times. And so that was probably one of those unforeseen location things like, Hey, we all want to get in there early. And <laughs> exactly. And,
3: and we, uh, we've only bought them out for so long. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 a challenging spot there, Mid Wilshire, for parking and things like that. But uh, it's a great venue. I love it. I love going to the El Rey. I just think it's a great. You just walk in. It's right there. It's not too big, not too small. I love venues like that.
1: And we had a couple scenes there, didn't we? We had scenes outside and in the. Isn't that where we also did um, the little green room area and all? Oh no,
3: that that was the that was Fado Do on Adams.
1: Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that
3: that that would that doubled. There were a couple different things in the movie where it's not the same exterior as interior club wise. The, uh, the black box theater where, uh, Emma does her audition or her, um, her one woman show is at the Hayworth theater on Wilshire, a little closer to downtown, but the exterior didn't seem quite right. So we did that outside of Fado Doe on Adams, That's which right. we ended up working out well for being able to do a couple other little concerty type things there. Cause it's a club. And, uh, and Ryan's club at the end of the movie is the interior of Sebastian's club is the blind donkey in Long Beach. But the exterior is uh, a club called Black on Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood. So, um, yeah, both of those ended up being different interiors and exteriors. For all you like, ooh, where'd they shoot this movie? <laughs> there you go. It's not the same place at both of those locations
1: we were all over the place we were
3: all over the place and since we were all over the place in every part of town you end up coming up with other ways to you know pair things and this and that so it you know things like that happen
1: the other one what was the what's the place downtown where they sit and they have like a the not farmers market but the um the oh yeah
3: grand central market grand central
1: market grand central that
3: market the with... the oneer yes the oneer yeah. of them having papooses at grand central market which uh that's always rewarding as a location person. When I mean, you have to pay them to shoot there, but then you say, you know, this will be good for your business. You know, it'll be a big movie, and people will come. And in that case, it really worked. Uh, I've ran into the the family there a couple times, and they have a little picture on the wall of the. It's a wonder. It's a one shot in the movie. Beautiful shot, but it's just clearly their place. It's right in the middle of Grand Central Market. And their it was businesses. open. It
1: wasn't our people. And it was
3: there. There are people still all over the, place. oh yeah, it cost money just to shoot in the center of Grand Central Market even though I wasn't closing them down and we were only in there for two or three hours. But uh, but it's, ni- it's, ni- it's nice when you can actually say that to somebody that hey, this will kinda, it'll be great, the movie will be a hit and people wanna come and eat where Ryan and Emma sat and and to have it actually pay off in a movie that, that <laughs> was a huge hit and it really has helped because they're a great family and they're, they have great business there now.
0: Well, let me ask, when you guys were doing the movie, could you tell at the time that it was going to be a big hit? Like, were things just coming together in, on set in a way that you felt like this was it was it was going to be what it ended up being? I mean, felt I,
3: it I, was. I felt it was from seeing. Sorry, I just felt it was from watching Whiplash. I knew we were in great hands. I said, I said, this if he can pull off Whiplash the way he pulled it off, then I'm I'm in. This is great. Yeah. If 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 he hadn't done something like that prior, who knows?
2: Yeah, I think when you you get the opportunity to work on an original concept you know original musical because you know most musicals are remakes or, or broadway already i think that's just always exciting to do something that is unique and, and original and there was never that moment where you thought eh, i don't think he knows what he's doing it, it's amazing how well it did but it's amazing how well any movie does that you work on and you're always just so happy that people enjoy the, the work that you do because we all do films and shows that nobody could care less about which is okay <laughs> but you know, when you have one like this where everybody, it resonates with everybody and it makes everybody happy to watch this movie. I think that that's, that's, you know, a reward in it, but making the movie was just a blast, you know, for me at least for the whole time. And, And that's, that's what that movie was. So I think, yeah, I think when we were making it, it felt like this was something special, but the amount that it resonated with people, the amount that people recreated it and, you know, in Japan or in Korea, you've seen these videos where they just recreate the dance numbers. It's amazing. you know. So those are things I don't think you expect that would happen. And then when they did happen, it was just really thrilling to watch.
1: I remember at the end of the day on the um, freeway, the um, video played back the dance number for the whole crew. And everyone stood around. Of course, this was in the middle of filming, I guess, but the whole crew stood around and watched and Damien wanted to play it for everybody. And I think everyone just was pretty amazed and shocked and happy and there was hooting and hollering and everything else at the end of the day as the sun was going down it was too late to shoot anymore and we were done that was pretty exciting I think for everyone to see the results of all that work and everyone really enjoyed it that was a fun moment.
0: Steve you talked about how the film resonated with folks and uh it brought up a point with for me the film is about an actor and a musician and as we know that's above the line talent if you will but the film also resonated with me as crew, um, personally, some of that bittersweet trying to work in Hollywood or what works or doesn 't work and how things come together i 'm curious if it resonated for any of you on that level having actually worked on the project
2: Well, I think any story where the main characters follow their dream and just have a passion for what they do for a living, I think always resonates with people that have the same passion and, and the same you know working in the film business isn't isn 't easy it 's not a quick buck, you know, it's something that, you know, you have to have a passion for, because it is so difficult to do, but it is also so rewarding if you have that passion. You know, when you watch characters that have, that have flaws and have, you know, ambitions, and and and, and it just, it feels a little bit more real, it's always something that, you know, it kind of bounces off of you feeling like you're with them and you understand what they're going through. I think for for me personally, you know, to watch these two characters that are really going after their dreams, you know, always reminds me of when I first started, you know, it wasn't easy. You, you didn't get big movies or big shows. At the beginning, you're working for free. You're doing whatever you can to move ahead and to, to try to pursue your dream. And that, that's what these people were doing. And, and I think on that level, it resonates, I think, with, with anybody who, who really goes for what they're trying to do in life, no matter what it is.
1: I was born and raised here in LA, but I have a lot of friends who've moved out here. And so the whole element of like Emma moving out to LA, trying it out, it's not going to work. She ends up moving back home. I mean, I think that resonates with a lot of people in the film business because there's so many people. I'm a rarity. I think that I was born and raised here, but so many people move out here in chasing that dream. So I think that definitely resonated with a lot of
3: people the movie I think is always going to work on many levels and that's definitely one of them. Um, I mean, watching it again, fairly recently, just, just essentially after Emma wins best actress, it makes you kind of want to watch it again and go, Oh, you know, kind of what was it throughout the movie that helped get her best actress. And uh, the audition scene is so powerful and to know that she did that live and she just so pulls off the emotion in that, but just little moments that I still get choked up when I watch it when she's outside, uh, the club after her, uh, after her one woman show fails, the way she just plays that with Ryan and how and she gets choked up at one point that uh, it just gets me every time. Uh, I mean, it's not because I worked on the movie. It's because I, uh, and those moments resonate so well uh, for that theme and they're throughout the movie. And no offense to Miles Teller and Emma Watson, but the movie wouldn't have been as good with them. <laughs> I'll just say that right now on record because uh, that's who was going to be in this movie during a lot of my prep on this movie. It was going to be Miles Teller and Emma Watson. I thought, okay, that's fine. They'll be good. Damien's worked with Miles and he plays an instrument and they'll be fine. And Emma, Emma Watson's fine. But then the minute it became Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, I, I had even more high hopes for the movie.
0: Well, it's interesting um, what you're talking about, Rufo, and And I'm surprised you didn't take credit for the location of that scene is really perfect. I don't know how she could have got the Oscar if she'd had to do it in worse locations around town. You know, so certainly uh, all of you contributed to know how well the movie did in your little bits. But I do find when I watch a movie that I've worked on, oftentimes I am distracted by everything I knew was going around when we were filming that scene, even if it is something powerful or, you know, like the scenes you're describing. Do you think this movie is actually different than your other experiences on that level or is every film like that for you?
2: I mean, I think for me, I watch the movie as a viewer first versus a a crew member. There are some movies where I definitely watch it as a crew member. Uh, There are a few movies in my career where I can watch it and go, Holy crap. How did they pull that off? Oh wait, I was there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I think this is one of them, you know? Um, So, you know, it's, it is nice when you can watch it as a piece of entertainment and as a piece of art versus just, Oh, you know, here's where we were on this day and that day. But I think for most of the time, you know, when a movie is solid and really works, I think you get to watch it as a viewer.
1: It's interesting because I think I watch it the other way around. I think when I first watch a movie, I watch it like, oh, I remember that day. Oh, I remember that day. Oh, I was hiding behind that tree. And oh, you know that I watch it that way. And it almost takes me a second time to watch it when I can then sit back and go, okay, I can watch it for what it is and enjoy it that way. But it is hard to get You put so much time into the prep and the shoot. And there's so much that goes into it. It's hard to separate yourself sometimes from all of that um, while you're watching it. But I find it's easier the more times I watch it, now that I've seen this a few times, I can watch it. And and I'm more removed from the day-to-day planning and scheduling and all of it, then I can watch it and enjoy it for what it is
3: a little more. La La Land's especially rewarding upon viewing after having worked on a movie because it's all up there on the screen. Uh, There's nothing more depressing when you're you know, watching a movie that you worked on and you think this scene is going to be, have some scope and that's the way it looked and that's the way why we picked it in the first place. And then it's not, it's not there. And so much of La La Land looked the way it needed to look and should have looked based on where we were at. I mean, just scene
2: after scene after scene, this is how this place should have been shot. Yes, they did it that way. Oh yeah, the <laughs> the locations are iconic in this movie. I mean, the the movie is a love letter to, Los Angeles. And Robert was able to pull off all these incredible locations with, at least from my point of view, with ease. We don't know what he goes through. You know, he may not have slept for three months straight, but. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, yeah, it, uh,
3: well, yes, the the directive was to show all the locations off. So maybe it's not such a surprise that it's all up there. But when you but I'm, I won't name other movies that I work in where I'm like, why did they shoot that scene that way? Why did we dress that entire location and all you do is see their faces? And La La Land is just so beautiful with its establishings and its wides and its, its camera yeah, moves and, Linus and uh, its lighting. Reading. Oh my God. Linus it's obviously deserved, yeah. Linus deserved the Oscar for that. No question. The,
1: the colors and the crane the shots and the moves and the, it was just everything. I think he did an amazing job with it. And again, I think that Damien was able to convey his vision to Linus, and Linus was able to share that and put it on film. Yep. On film. We actually shot yep. it on film. On
3: film, yeah.
1: <laughs> As opposed yep. to all the digital stuff. But Robert, one thing that you, I'm sure, deal with a lot that we deal with that's different on this movie is when you're shooting in LA, you're either looking for palm trees to put in the shot or trying to find places that don't have palm trees to be in the shot, depending on where you're shooting. In this particular movie, we were always looking for palm trees, right?
3: Yes, looking for palm trees and places to put the iconic uh, light posts that uh, that ended up being placed in different shots. I mean, this is a good time to give a shout out to David and Sandy Wasco, the designers who also won. And uh, I've been friends with them forever, did all the Tarantino movies and Wes Anderson and, so thrilled that they won the Oscar for this. Um, but what a great scouting process it was with Damien, just narrowing down things that he wanted. They, just not enough time in the day to shoot every location that we thought of. Uh, but the montage days that we ended with, you know, there was a list of 15 places that we would have loved to have gone for the love montage. It ended up being five or six, I guess, six or seven. But uh, just to be tossing out these different ideas for these places that I grew up in and would love to finally film and we ended up filming a lot of them. It was, it was such a treat.
0: Well, it's been a treat talking about this movie. I think I'm going to go watch it again now. And I bet a lot of our listeners will do the same. Thanks guys for taking time today. It's really a pleasure. Thanks Thanks for for having us. Thank you, Robert. That's a wrap on La La Land. And that's a wrap on season two of Below the Line coordination for season three is already underway. If you've got feedback, you can send email to skid, S-K-I-D, at below the line, one word, dot biz. That's B-I-Z. I also appreciate your feedback via iTunes, where I review your ratings and comments, and Facebook, where I also post behind the scenes photos at podcast below the line. And finally, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram. Both of those use pod below the line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Just search for below the line. The show is a lot of fun to put together, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. Join us again for season three.